What is going on and welcome to the Power of Progression podcast. I'm your host, John Marone. Thank you very much for joining us on today's episode. And please do not forget to like, subscribe, follow the podcast, write a review, and then share it out to anybody who can take the value from today's episode and put it into their life. But now it is time to help you design the life you've always wanted to live, creating the ultimate version of yourself, and jump into the episode. So let's get it popping. Welcome back to another episode of the Power of Progression podcast. I cannot wait to introduce my guest to you guys today. His name is Eric Thomas. I'm sure you've heard of him before. He is a critically acclaimed author, world-renowned speaker, educator, and pastor. He is known as E.T., the hip-hop preacher, and he has taken the world by storm with his creative style and high-energy messages. His words continue to impact tens of millions of people across the planet. And most of you probably know him by his famous quote, when you want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe, then you'll be successful. But look, guys, it didn't come easy. Coming from humble beginnings of being homeless, eating out of garbage cans, issues with his education, struggling with his own identity, and no real clear direction of where he was going. And not to mention, he didn't even know who he was in that moment. But he turned it all around, and it started with his GED. That turned into his PhD. That turned into his super successful consulting business. He has consulted so many companies that you guys know. I mean, think about it. Nike, GE, New Balance, at and Under Armour. The list goes on and on. Not to mention the major universities and professional sports teams. He is the number one public speaker in the game right now, in my opinion, due to his energy, vulnerability, and his willingness to help others get better today than they were yesterday. But we got a special treat for you guys today because it's not just ET here. We got his mother, Vanessa Thomas, and she has written her first book, and it is called The Secret Behind The Secrets to Success. She gives her vulnerable backstage look into her story, which actually led to Eric leaving the house dropping out of high school, and starting on his path of desperation, exploration, and now success. The rawness of Eric's truth that laid bare in his book, The Secrets to Success, was hard to revisit. But after reading it, she knew in time she was going to have to respond. And that time has finally come because the secret behind The Secrets to Success answers every question, fills in every blank. And you thought you knew it all about E.T. She is here to tell you there's a little bit more that you need to find out. But first, we're going to get started with my man, E.T. What is going on, brother? How you doing? Oh, man. Super duper excited. All right. Hey, I normally say I don't have no complaints. I'm living my blessed life. Uh, but it's like 25, 26 degrees here in Michigan. So I'm ready to get back to the West Coast. Yeah. Uh, ready to get back to the sun. Uh, Jay, how you feeling, Jay? You good? Uh, I'm doing good, brother. I'm, I'm kill, killing it over here in, in Dallas. Look, I'm telling you, man. I'm from Jersey, and, and, you know, you get some cold days over there, you're used to it. But Dallas hits you with the cold, it's a whole nother level. It is. Yeah, a whole nother at, level, man. Hey, what a lot of people don't know about Dallas is at the right time in the winter, it could snow. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's bone chilling. It's yeah, bone no chilling. No so, man, I appreciate you jumping on here today. Um, you know, you and I had uh, had met up over at a conference where, you yeah. know, I, I saw you speak. As, as always, you just delivered, delivered, delivered. So, you know, John Marone as a person wants to thank UET for being you. Um, and not, like I said earlier, not for the accolades, just for being E, man. Just, just for that, that person who you are. And I cannot wait for you to deliver the value I know you're going to deliver to my audience today. And, um, people listen to this, turn it up, get your pens ready, get your paper ready, 
because it is time to get better today than you were yesterday with some bombs of value. So let's get this thing kicked off, man. For those that don't understand who you are or don't really know the story, let's just kind of go back, man. Let's talk about growing up. Like, who was E.T. before he was homeless, right? Yeah, man. You know, if you want to talk before I was homeless, I'm like, you know, any other kid, bro. I was um, real good, you know, in track and field. Wanted to play football. You know, that was my thing. I wasn't really a, um, you know, a school kid. I didn't necessarily, you know, get excited about taking tests, writing papers, you know, all of that. But I did like sports. Uh, I like acting a lot, believe it or not, in school, a little speaking. Uh, spelling bees was probably the only thing I could kind of get into. I wasn't great at it, but I liked the competition. You yeah. know, um, never really played basketball or anything like that. Played a little baseball. Uh, so just a normal kid, man, growing up in the deep. You know, um, when I was growing up in Detroit, it wasn't what it is now. Um, the the um, um, car industry was booming. Ford, GM, and Chrysler. Uh, you had Motown, you know, Barry Gordy, you know, downtown. Um, the Pistons was winning. We had Michigan Wolverines basketball, football was doing their thing. So it was a, it was a, it was a phenomenal time. Unfortunately, um, drugs came in the city in the mid '80s. You know. Um, Mid, mid 80s, late 80s, uh, but hip hop did come out. It was just a real fun time, man. Real. Probably, it, my mom will be on later, so she'll probably tell you I had a little bit more fun than I probably should have. <laughs> I didn't balance it out, you know, uh, which is why I didn't finish school. But uh, good times, man. Good times, man. Real good times. Um, you know, like we talked earlier, you know, I, I, I had some struggles, but I'll be honest with you. Um, you know, being an adult and hearing other people's lives, you know, um, a lot of a lot of the struggles we had was stuff that you could get over, you know, things that you could manage, you know what I'm saying? So um, I, I didn't have some of the struggles that I hear other people talk about, um, but, you know, took those little small struggles. Sometimes when you're young, man, and make it more than what it is, mm -hmm. and uh, that got me in trouble, but uh, childhood, man, definitely Detroit was a great place, grew up. Everybody always hears Eight Mile, you know, the movie Eight Mile, which is really a, um, it's symbolic for a divider between, uh, you know, blacks and whites at that time, the rich and poor. And so if you lived on one side of Eight Mile, you know, that was more working class, whatever. You lived on the other side, you know, hey, the, the, on one side of Eight Mile was the people who worked the plant, and on the other side was the managers, the owners, the bosses, you know what I'm real, saying? Real uh -huh. divided. Yeah, yeah, of course. But but I literally grew up on Eight Mile Road, you know. So um, Eight Mile on the west side of Detroit, Eight Mile in like uh, Lasser, Greenfield, Evergreen. So um, but yeah, man, great times in Detroit. I'm originally from Chicago, so my mom and I would go back and forth to Chicago, spend some summers, you know, with my cousins, my aunts. And Chicago was another Midwest place that was booming mm. and uh, house music. Somebody turned my son on house music the other day in Chicago. So uh, great times in Chicago with my with my cousins, man. And so, uh, yeah, man, just overall, uh, childhood was straight. It's just uh, that young adult, teenage life is kind of where things uh, started to unravel for me. But, you know, we were able to pick, it, pick the pieces back up and make it happen, bro. Yeah, yeah, man. And obviously super successful now. Yeah. You know, and, and like you said, I mean, growing up, it wasn't like, you know, it was extremely bad for you. But I know there are some things that really made that shift for you to take one turn or the other. Look, Absolutely. life is nothing but the sum of the choices we make, yeah. right? 
Like uh, I made some bad choices and I ended up in some bad places as well as you did. So let's kind of go back there to where like eating out of garbage cans, homeless. How did that come out of work? You know, the, the good times in Detroit and, and, you know, having, having your mother around, like, how did you start getting into that side of, you know, the, the, the struggle, I guess you could say. Yeah. Well, you know, for me, man, I think I was, um, well, I know I was 12 when, you know, I first called my mom about something that I thought, you know, was a secret. I wasn't really sure. Um, and, and when I think about before then, you know, it's so crazy, you know, it's like, you know how you can have these thoughts and, you know, these demons or whatever, but when you're young, you're able to manage, like, it's, it is what it is. Like, you don't really focus on it too heavy, but once you become a teenager, man, just teenage years is something crazy. And when I became a teenager, I went from kind of just having it on my mind to like, it almost started to consume me, if that makes sense. You know, and I had a conversation with my mom and she was like, you know, your father that's raising you isn't your biological father. So like I said, it wasn't not necessarily like sexual abuse or, you know, uh, physical abuse. But I guess for me, you know, when you're young, man, you see your parents, especially my mom, like you see them as perfect almost, you know, and now that I'm a parent, I realize that's not true. But when you were a kid, your parents like superheroes, if you will. My mom's like a superhero, you know. And so when my mom told me what she told me and she didn't tell me up front, I think it devastated me just because it's like, Yo, as kids, we lie, but your parents, they don't lie. You know what I'm saying? Like, your parents ain't going to never keep nothing from you like that. So I think for me, like when my mom told me, it wasn't something that happened afterwards. Like, she told me the truth. So it wasn't necessarily something that happened after that, but it was really the way I, um, I understood it. You know what I'm saying? Like, for me, instead of just being like, oh, okay, well, why? I never really asked, like, yo, why did you do it? I just like, like oh, okay, like, I made her an enemy after that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I almost made it like, yo, I, you can't be, you didn't tell me the truth. You can't be trusted. I can't trust you. And then, you know, you got other people in your ear. And you know, as an adult, that happens. But you a kid, you got people in your ear, all oh, this, 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 that. Oh, if I was you, I would. And if I was, and I think for my father who was raising me at the time, when I found out he wasn't my biological father, you know, I, I was already, I already had a rebellious, you know, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it streak anyway. But at that point, I was kind of like, oh, okay, well, if you're not my father, then you're not my father. Like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, in my spirit, it wasn't where I was like, oh, well, he did these things and he did that. Like, I didn't see it in the positive. I was like, yo, you ain't my father. You can't tell me what to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't touch me. Don't reprimand me. Don't whatever. And I kind of just had, like, that, you know, uh, rebellious spirit on me. And, of course, you know, my parents like, yo, we can't tolerate that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yo, you can't walk around the house with this attitude, you can't go to school and not do what you're supposed to do. And for me, it's like, well, you can't tell me what to do. And eventually, the punishments, the you know, the being reprimanded, you know, the being disciplined. I was like, yo, I don't got to take this. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, I don't, I, don't, I don't have to, I don't have to deal with this. So that's why I was homeless, like flat out. Like, if you read the book, I was kind of like, when it was like, yo, you're gonna get disciplined for eating up all the food. You're gonna get disciplined for having your boys over. I was like, ain't nobody about to touch me. You know, flat out, ain't nobody touch. And nobody about to touch me, like flat out. I don't care what I did wrong, like send me to my room. But I'm not about to be disciplined. I'm 16 years old. And you know how when, when they had a commercial that was stuck, double my man was like, don't try this at home. Yeah. I, hey, we moved to the suburbs. So a lot of my homies in the suburbs weren't getting whippings. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, yo, ain't nobody in the suburbs getting whipped. My boy telling his mom what to do. He cussing his parents out. I'm not necessarily about to cuss nobody out, but you ain't about to put your hands on me. You know what I'm saying? So. 
that was what led uh, up to homeless, man. And um, it's crazy, man. Like, I had such a strong spirit that even when I left the crib and was like, you know, with nowhere to go, I would, it's so funny, man. My son would be like, he'll say something to me. Like, dad, I, I'm like, yo, you ain't about that life, son. I'm like, you say you don't, you don't want, but you ain't about that life, son. Like, I was about that life. Like, you say you don't want to listen to me, whatever, but like, you scared to go on your own. I'm like, son, I was about that life. Like, as an adult, I laugh, but I'm sleeping outside, and I know if I humble myself, I can go back to the crib, but I'm like, I'm not about, I'm, I'm not about to humble myself. I'm not about to say I'm sorry. I'm not about to go back and have to deal with these rules and regulations. So I prefer, you know what I'm saying, like however, whatever. Whatever I have to go through, I just want to be independent. I want to live by my rules, do what I want to do when I want to do it. And if I can't eat regularly, I'm cool with that. I would just prefer to just have, just live life on my own terms, which is why I say I'm probably an entrepreneur today. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm just being real. I say it to my wife all the time. I'm not one of those guys that want to be nobody else's boss. I don't want to tell nobody else what to do. But I want to be able to, like, do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and do you think, bro, like, like, honestly, looking back at it, you utilized finding out that the guy who raised you wasn't your father. You found that as saying, you know what? I could utilize this to, to go ahead and say, you know what? Now I'm going to rebel even more because it was so deep inside of you. You, you know, you want to have reverse spotlighted and said, well, you know what? You know, be, I'm going to act this way because you lied to me. But yeah. really, E.T. want to act that way because E.T. Oh, want to act that way, right? No matter what circumstances. Yeah, as an adult, no, bro, no questions asked. Because I always say, like, okay, the fact that your mom didn't tell you the truth, you didn't have to go to school and act a fool. But I already didn't like school. So like you said, that was, you know, that was just an excuse to be like, yo, all right, you disappointed me. I'm about to disappoint you. But really, I didn't want to go to school in the first place. You know what I'm saying? I didn't want to listen to nobody rules in the first place. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, because I always say I could have been like, wow, here's a person that wasn't your biological father who decided to adopt you, give you his last name, he going to work, he taking care of you. Like, it's not a lie. He yeah. he just treated you as if he was you was his own. You know what I'm saying? Like, I could have easily went there. But I didn't because, like you said, for whatever reason, I'm not a different person than I was when I was eight or 12. I channel it differently. Mm -hmm. you, you feel me? I'm still rebellious, meaning yeah. that I still don't like to be told what to do by nobody else. But because I don't want to be told what to do, I've got degrees. You know, I, I, I work on my craft to try to stay the best in the world. You know, I write books when I don't want to write them. Like, I've become a corporate speaker when that's not something that I wanted to ever do. You, you understand what I'm saying? I, I write curriculums now. That's not something I've ever wanted to do. So when I was younger, I took my natural gifts and talents and was destructive with them. You know, as an adult, I got way more discipline. So I wouldn't say that I'm a different person. I've been changed. I never knew how to speak, and I can speak now. I was never charismatic, but I'm charismatic now. I drank some hocus pocus, and now all of a sudden I'm a leader. I've always been this dude. I was just very destructive, you know, and like you said earlier, misled, you know what I'm saying, when I was younger. Mm. You know, bro, and it's so funny because you got all this energy. Yeah. 
And, and, and I think about when I was younger and people were like, man, John, you have all this energy. And I'm like, man, I don't, you know, I was trying to think of how I got it. And I realized that we were always born with this energy. Absolutely. The problem Absolutely. is, is as humans, right? We either put this energy towards negative things or towards positive things, yeah. but it's perspective. And, and let's kind of jump there for a second because people that are listening, people that are watching, the biggest problem I'm seeing with, with people that are coming to me for help, I'm sure coming to you for help, is just the lens they see things through, right? Like their perspective. Absolutely. Like you looked at perspective one way and you made some bad decisions. And ultimately, that could have led you to, to total, complete destruction. And it's leading a lot of people that way because they're looking at a circumstance through the wrong lens. So what would you tell people right now of like, look, this is, if you see something bad happen to you, a, you know, a negative effect, negative outcome, this is how I would tell you to go ahead and look at it through a different perspective. How, how can I do that, man? I would say, go look again. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, go look again. Yeah. I, like, don't not look at it. Go look at it again. But this time when you look at it, look up. Like, look up. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't look down. Look up. Yes. You know, come from a different perspective. So now I'm able to see, okay, maybe my mom was trying to keep me from something. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe in her mind, she really felt like what she was doing was the best thing for me. And it couldn't have been too bad. I mean, look where I am now. You know what I'm saying? I look at my father who raised me and was like, yo, I don't know if I could have raised somebody else's child. I, you know what I'm saying? Like, I have a love for my son. I don't even know if I could really pull that off. I don't really have people coming to my house like that where I'm trying to play father to kid. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, the fact that he didn't tell me, but he gave me his last name, that's already saying that, like, yo, for real, I'm, I'm going all the way. I'm going all in. Cause I can raise you and I give you my name. You understand know what I'm saying? So whatever, so whatever the 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 parts that are unknown or could have been, you know, wrong or how the methods was wrong, the the heart was pure. You know what I'm saying? The intent was right. Like my mom wasn't trying to give me a father to hurt me. You know, so go look again. And that's what I had to do. I had to look at my same situation in a different way. You know, I had to look back and say, Yo, E, why'd you go that route? All right, now let's go this route. Anytime you go the positive route, you look up, you take the high road, you're going to get the benefits of the high road. Anytime you look down and you take the low road, you're going to get the benefits and the consequences that come with taking it the wrong way. So I don't have time for negative no more because I see when I go the negative route, I reap negative stuff. But when I go positive, I reap positive. And then number two, I had to ask myself, well, why is it that you want to, why is your perspective always about what externally? Like, why are you always starting on the external? What happened to you? Why you never start with what you did and how you responded? So yeah. that's really the deeper question, E, is why did you respond the way you responded at 12? Why did you leave home at 16? Why couldn't you sit down and talk it out? Why does it always have to be your way or no way? Why, why is that, E? Like, let's think this through, E. Let, let's start from the inside. Let's do the inner work first. Let's not try to make other people change. Let's not try to make other people see it the way you see it. Like, let's go inside, E. What did you do wrong? Because you left home at 16, and you still got bad grades. You still got kicked out of school. Like, you, you ran your own life. You was running your own life, and it was still screwed up. You know what I'm saying? So at what point do you stop saying, this person did this to me, or this person did that, he wrong, she wrong? And at what point do you look at yourself and say, yo, E, can you bet on you? Can you count on you? Like, okay, I know you felt like your mom owe you this, your biological father owe you this, but what do you owe you? Like, what do you owe you, E? What do you owe it to you to get up in the morning and handle your business? 
Do you owe it to you to go to school or get a trade or become number one at what you do because you put so much energy? Like, what do you owe you? You keep saying what your mom didn't do. You can't make her do nothing. What didn't you do, E? What have you not done? And so I don't focus on the external no more, bro. It's all an in, hey, it, it's an inside job now. <laughs> we get ET e tight, and it's an inside job. And when it's an inside job, and I look at the perspective the right way, I keep getting black. I'm on your show today. I keep getting black. My mom about to do this show. Like today is our first day of doing podcasts. Like we've never done this together before. So it's like, yo, put all the uh, he wrong, she wrong, they wrong. What did he do? What did she do? What's going on? And ask yourself, am I looking at this the right way? Am I looking up? Am I taking the high road? Am I doing self work, inner work, or am I? Because here, I just want to say to Jay, as we move to the next topic, here's the deal. When you give the other person his fault, her fault, their fault, my boss's fault, my wife's fault, whatever, you give them the power when you do that. Mm-hmm. You give them the power. They got the power now because you made it their fault. You made them responsible for it. So it's their fault. They got all the power now. But when you make it an inside job, it's not saying that other people aren't involved, but you gain control when you say, Yo, it's an inward job. It's something that I need to look at. And I just would rather be in control of my life than to give my life to somebody else so that I don't take the responsibility. And it hurts. It hurts to say, E, you're a liar. E, you're a procrastinator. E, you always start stuff, but you never fix it. E.T., you got some integrity issues. E, you immature. That hurt, bro. It's easy to say, my mom this, my old dude this, my wife this. It's easier. It's painful when you have to look yourself in the mirror and say, bro, you, you, you don't follow through, bro, and you're not where you're supposed to be because you don't follow through. That's much harder to do than to point the finger. But when I point the finger, I feel better, but I don't, I don't build. When I, when I, when I feel better, but I don't build. It hurts when I take responsibility, but I'm building, and I'm getting better every day when I take responsibility. You feel better, but you don't get better, right? Like you feel way better when it's somebody else's fault. Yeah, but yeah. you don't get better. Man, I tell you, it's so good because you talk about what I always talk about. Your life, you just kept talking, you kept saying something, and it was questions, man. Like your life is proportionate, your quality of life is proportionate to the quality of questions you ask yourself. Yeah, right? Yeah. That that whole victim mentality versus victim, uh, victim versus victor. You know, when 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 I was growing up, I always be like, you know, why me? Why did I grow up this way? You know. Why this? Why? And always the negative. And you're so right, man. Like, we seriously just need to ask ourselves better questions. I started before and I said, you know, life is nothing but the sum of the choices we make. Well, E, John, right? Like, how do we make better choices? Simple. You just heard it from E.T. Ask better questions. Like, that's simple. Like, and, and, and I'm going to give everybody a little, a little nugget right here. Like, the best question I ask myself every single day is this one thing. Does this get me closer to my goals or does it get me further away? When I'm trying to make a decision, like it's that simple. But he changed the narrative. He looked at it and said, when something negative happens, he asks a better question. So I challenge you guys, and he challenged you guys, ask better questions to get better results. Oh, that's so good, man. That is so good. No questions. So good. Okay, so like, let's, let's kind of go back a little bit because, you know, you, you fought your way through and, and you fought through adversity. You fought through all these challenges and people right now listening, you know, they're probably not homeless, but they're struggling. Like there's adversity, there's friction, there's resistance to what they're trying to accomplish. And in your journey, 
I know there was tons of that, dude. Like, so how, how did you get over this resistance and, and fight through and, and go from, you know, basically homeless to it started with your GED, which I love how you say that it started with my GED because look, the, the, the biggest bodybuilder in the world started with five pounds, right? <laughs> like it starts somewhere, but there's so many obstacles in between. How do people overcome these adversities? What's this one thing that they could always rely on to push through the adversities and bigger thing, man, that limited belief that they're not good enough. They can't do it. What can they be doing? Yeah. So for me, man, it all starts with love. Mm. You know, my thing is if your heart is in it, you can't stop a man once his heart is in something. You know, to me, it's when I feel like people quit and give up when their heart ain't in it. Like, I just got to tell you the first thing that come to my mind. So yesterday I was on a prayer call and my, my mother-in-law was on. And they were asking my mother-in-law about cancer, right? And the doctor sent her home. It was like, yo, it metastasized throughout your body. Like, it's in your bones now. There's nothing we could do about it. You probably got about six months to live, right? I just believe, though, that my mother-in-law, she was never married. My wife is her only child, right? And I, and I just believe the love that she has for her daughter and her grandkids. Like, she was just like, yo, I just want to see my grandkids finish high school. Now, my son finished high school, finished college. My daughter's about to finish college. But I just remember her not being finished with life, bruh. Like, yo, I'm just being real. Like, the doctor was like, these are professionals, bro. They've dealt with cancer patients. They like, yo, it's spread through your body. We can't even give you treatment no more. Go home. But her heart, her heart was still in it. She still loved her daughter. She still loved her grandkid. She still felt like she had more life to live. And I just feel like when you love something, I started dating my girl. She was like, let's go to college together. You know, let's build a family together. So I'll be real. I never really saw it like hard. I never thought I would make it through homelessness. I would make, now there were times where I was nervous, you know what I'm saying? Because I, I, I saw gangs or I saw, you know, uh, people, you know, who were negative and they were around me. So I, you know, I always had my guards up, but I never saw myself dying. You know what I'm saying? I never saw myself not being successful. Despite the fact that I was home, like I never saw, like I was never like, man, I'm gonna die on these streets. You know what I'm saying? Like, man, I ain't gonna never be successful because I didn't get a degree. I never felt that way. I always felt like, yo, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a good life. Like, I'm going to, now I never saw myself being the number one motivational speaker in the world, but I never, my heart was never not in it. And so when people get hit, I don't think it's the hit that hurts them. I think it's when the wind get knocked out of you, when you lose the desire to fight, to me is when you, that, because humans are so strong. So you got one human with cancer that lives, one human that dies. I just think sometimes it's just the fight that some people get hit with certain news and they get the wind knocked out of them. And they're like, yo, this is, I didn't expect this. I didn't think this would happen. And so boom, I, every time I got hit, I just was like, yo, I'm not staying down. I'm like Buster Douglas, I'm gonna yeah. get back. So I, I just think when you get knocked down and you see yourself, knocked down, you stay down. But when you get knocked down and you're a champion, Muhammad Ali said the floor, the ground is nowhere for a champion. It's not, it's not the place for a champ. And so I just always felt like, yo, E, uh, a college dropout, they kicked me out, I'm gonna get back. I never thought I wouldn't graduate. The master's degree, the PhD was the hardest thing ever. It got rough at times, but I never, I, I always saw myself marching 
at some point. So for me, man, I just think the 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 key is that never get the wind knocked out of you. Everybody that get hit feel the pain. Everybody. Muhammad Ali, uh, Frazier, Joe Lewis, I mean every all the greats, Mike Tyson, everybody feels the pain, bro, of life. But some of us get the wind knocked out of us. And some of us, we just don't get the wind knocked out of us. We like, I'm about to get back up and make this thing happen. Yeah. Oh, that's do not get the wind knocked out of you. But that's gold. Yeah. Right? But, but you know, people listen to this. And, yeah, it, it, it's on that heart. And I remember you did a video about the Buster Douglas thing and talking about, you know, um, um, his why, right? His why was so strong. It didn't matter what happened to him. But some people can't find that why. Like, it's hard for people. People message me every day. When I get off stage, people hit me up. They're like, I don't know what to do because I'm scared because I know I'm about to get the wind knocked out of me and I don't have enough why. I don't have a big enough why to go ahead and get up and get off the canvas. How does one find that why? How did you find your why? Like, help my people, help my listeners, help my audience figure that out, please. Hey, when you wake up in the morning, just get your get your post here or get your post here. That's enough. Like, get your post right here and say, yo, I have the greatest gift known to mankind, and that's life. Mm. This is the greatest gift ever. Why? Because you can't go buy it. Because you can't, re you can't produce it. Like, you, you might be able to have a child, but you can't produce, like make yourself wake up. And then even with your child, you can't produce, like you can't figure out if it's gonna be a boy or a girl. You can't make certain things. So life is the most precious thing. Then I look at the lives around me and say that the quality of their life is based on the life that I live. Mm. So I think about my biological father. It's like, yo, bro, whatever, like he got the wind knocked out of me. So whatever happened when I was born, that made him say, like, yo, I, I can't muster up the strength. So when my mom was like, no, I don't want to deal with you no more, like, he didn't go, I got to fight through this. You know what I'm saying? Like, for whatever reason, he got the wind knocked out of him. And because he got the wind knocked out of him, his wind affected my life. So him not doing certain things, that affected my life. Because now he put the onus on my mom to have to say, okay, well, since I got him by myself, I got to make these decisions. So now she's making decisions that two people should be making. She's making them by herself. So what I had to say was, yo, I got to handle my business because I got to get a PhD so my son at least finishes college and, and makes his dream of sports happen that you can't make just happen in high school. So he ended up going to Michigan State, working for the men's basketball team, working for Coach Izzo, having that experience, Final Four, Elite Eights. His boys are in the league. He's helping his boy. You know, so my son would have never had this. My daughter, it's just certain things she wouldn't have had had I quit. And so when you quit, you teach your kids to quit. You teach your spouse to quit. You teach your community where you come from, the people look up to you. You teach them to quit. So for me, I wake up every day and realize I got life, but based on how I live my life will determine how much life my kids live. Like, you know, my mom's coming on next. My mom got a book because I wrote a book. Where my mom comes from, you only get one career. She about to get two careers. The one she did, you know, with four for 30 years, now however long she does this one, this her new career. So if E.T. handle his business, then everybody get to handle their business. There are things that my parents uh, are living off of their own efforts, but then there's some stuff that they doing because of what I did. So if I quit and I give up, then they gonna give up. But if I go hard and go heavy, 
then they're going to go hard and they're going to go heavy. Man, as Tupac says, all eyes on me, right? <laughs> like All eyes on me. Yeah, all eyes on me. And guys, listen to what he just said. Like, if you can't find your why, you're going to find it throughout, right? Like, he found it through his son. He found it through his mother in times. And But the big thing is, is realize the best gift in life you cannot buy. So when you wake up in the morning and it's 5 o'clock, or as he wakes up at 3.30, which I'm going to get into in a second, when you wake up and it's 5 o'clock and that little mental midget wants to put you in that chokehold to say, go back to sleep, as we said before, you ask a better question. Is this getting me closer or further away from my goals? And say, it gets me closer if I wake up, feel that pulse, and say, this is the best gift I could ever get, which is to wake up and go crush the day. Man, such gold there. Such, and, and real quick, I want to talk about community and people around you. Negativity, man, it's a disease. Like, negativity will demolish any kind of success that you have. And, and that's, I think, a lot of people are struggling with. It's like, Okay, stop watching the news. I'm done with that. Okay, maybe I turned off Facebook. I'm done with that. But I have my friends or my family that are just keep affecting me negatively and, and it's draining on me. How, how, would, how would they set boundaries? How would they go ahead and, and separate themselves from that situation to no longer be affected by the negative things around them? Like, you know, let's just say it's family because obviously we're talking about that today. When there's a negative person in your family, you got to have self-communication with them. How do you make that separation so you're not affected by them and doesn't affect your future? Well, I'll just say this. I wouldn't drink poison. You, you feel me? Like, I just wouldn't grab a glass of poison and just hit it. Like, he goes to drink it. And so what you do wrong is you think because it's people you love that you don't have to live by principle. So in the real world, if you don't stop at the red light, you're going to get crushed by a car nine out of ten times. So you don't do it, right? So what happens is because you think it's family, you all of a sudden, you don't have to live by principle. You still got to live by principle. So if a family member is poison, you don't drink it. It is what it is. You don't drink it. Now, what's the worst that they can happen is they get upset with you. Okay, cool. I don't mind you getting upset as long as I'm living my blessed life. I don't care that you're upset. Like, because my job is to take care of the life that I was given. I have to put the oxygen on myself before I can put the oxygen on you. So regardless if you like it or not, I got to take care of myself. And when I take care of Eric Thomas, I'm able to take care of the people around me more effectively. So I wouldn't drink poison. I would not not stop at a red light. So what most of you are doing wrong is that you are living your relationships on feelings and not on principles. Relationships are meant to live on principle. And then as the relationship is developing, you give it your emotion. But you don't have to talk to somebody for five hours just because that's your sibling. If it's negative, if it's negative, like you could pray and ask that it won't be negative, but as long as it's negative and, and they coming at you in a negative way, it's like, yo, I, I'm, I'm not mad at you. If that's how you want to act, you have the right to act however you want to act. But I have, the, I have the right to consume what I want to consume. And all I want to consume at, bro, I'm 48 years old. I don't have a whole bunch, like my daughter said, you halfway dead, dad. I'm probably, I'm probably less than that. I'm, probably, I'm not even probably halfway dead, right? If I make it to 50, 100, she's right. I'm halfway dead. But even if I make it to 50, I don't have the use of my limbs like I do now. I don't have the use of my mind like I do now. I won't be as sharp as 100 as I am now. My immune system won't be what it is now. You, you understand what I'm saying? So for me, I'm not going to consume negativity because I don't have that long to live. Now, if you want to be negative, that's your choice. But I want to be positive. So I may not get to choose where I was born. I might not get to choose who my family is. 
There's some things that I don't have a choice that I was born a male. I don't get to choose my height, whatever, but I sure do get to choose who comes in my environment, who doesn't. I'm, I make that choice. That's a choice I get to make. And, and, and you don't have to approve of it. You feel me? Like, you don't have to approve of what I bring into my world. But I have to make sure that it's healthy because I, if I drink poison, I die. If I drink fruits, vegetables, I live. Oh, man, I love it. I love it. Guys, look, stop drinking the poison. And, and, and you mentioned something. It, it, I just love it. Uh, Will Smith talks about it, too. Like it's what you're born into, right, your circumstances. Like, it's not your fault, guys. Like, you got negative family. It ain't your fault. You got, you, got, you know, some, some shit that happened to you that went wrong. It's not your fault. But it's your damn responsibility to change it. That's right. And and, and it's 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 better now than than later, you know. And and I, I truly understand where that comes from because it's hard to separate the, the negative with the family. But you're right, man. Like it, it's it's principle. Like it is principle. You gotta look at the future. I I truly think that yeah, you know, we become a product of our environment that like we talked about. But also, I always talk about show me your rituals. I'll show you your future. Yeah. And I had mentioned earlier, you wake up at three thirty in the morning. And I want to know, like, I think the most important four hours of our day, correct me if, I, if I'm wrong, but I think it's a two when we wake up and then a two before we go to sleep. I think those are the most empowering and, and the most important two hours or four hours. What does your two hours when you wake up look like? And what does the two hours before you go to sleep look like? Uh, well, you know, people ask me why I get up so early. Uh, because I can. You know what I'm saying? I live in America. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not in prison. Nobody tells me what time to wake up. So when my body wakes up, why, why put my body on punishment? You know, why put my body on punishment? Because the world say you're not supposed to get up until you're getting ready to go to work. So I get up at 3 o'clock in the morning because I can, because my body wants to, because my body's ready to grind, my body's ready to work. You know, so the first two hours are really dedicated. One, the first ones are to, the first hours for self. Really the first two hours of self. You know, it's getting my mind right, my spirit right. You know, it's getting my body right. And then the other part is practicing so that whatever it is that I have to do, whether I have to gauge somebody in Spanish, English, I'm working on my English, I'm working on my Spanish, I'm working on my speaking, I'm working on um, getting myself to a temper, like charged, 100% charged, so that when I come in contact with you, I have energy for you, right? I'm going through what I did wrong the day before, what adjustments do I need to make in this particular day, just get, really get myself charged like I charge my cell phone. You know, making sure I close all the programs that need to be closed, open the programs that need to be open, delete the stuff I ain't using no more. I just want to be at optimal use. So that's the first two hours. The last two hours is really, you know, right now my wife and I, because my kids are gone. So just making sure that I spend the last two hours with the person that uh, I've chosen to be with for the rest of my life. You know, uh, making sure that I hit my son, my daughter if I need to, uh, any other loved ones if I need to at night. But making sure with my kids, they know that they're loved. You know, if I don't wake up that next day, I want to make sure that I at least have a message sent out to them. Um, and then just getting my body, man, ready to chill and, and, and putting it in rest. Not just a physical rest, but an emotional rest. No phone calls. You know, I don't want to do business. I don't really want to watch certain things on television. Just want to give my body a chance to like, like really go into hibernation, if you will, and, 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 and refreshing itself and allowing my muscles and my tissues to, to like regenerate, you know, the whole nine. So that's the first two was going at it. The last two was like, all right, E, 
give your body some time to recover so that when you go back the next day, like they don't play football games every day. It's kind of intense. You feel me? They don't play basketball games every day. It's kind of intense. You know, they, they need time to recover. So I want to go hard in the beginning of the day. I want to give my body an opportunity to recover at the end of the day. Is that how you keep your energy up? Because people, like I said earlier, people always ask me, John, how you keep your energy up? And, you know, energy is contagious. Energy creates engagement. And when you're on stage speaking, when you're engaged and your audience is engaged, they retain more, right? And, and that's the goal here. It's not just to motivate. It's to give actionable things so people change their life. Like, we're not here. Me and he aren't sitting here to talk to you. So you get motivated. You go back out into the real world and, you know, you forget everything, right? I'm not, we're not trying to help you check a box off that you did something good today by listening to this podcast. We're trying to help you change your life for you, your family, and your future. So the energy you bring, man, is that how you, you, you keep it consistent throughout the day, through your speaking sessions? I have no energy after 8.30 at night. None. I know that. You know what I'm saying? So I try to do everything that is my gift as early as I possibly can. Now, if I have to do something at night, I try to take a nap. But for the most part, bro, that's what I'm doing. I know how much energy I have. I know how to spend that energy. And I'm, I, man, just like Peyton Manning, maybe, you know, or um, somebody like, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, I'm trying the Patriots. What's my oh, guy? Tom Brady. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to have that same control over my gift. You know, I'm trying to call the plays, run audibles if I need to run audibles. You know, but I, I have to manage my day because I want to manage my gift because my gift is going to make room for me. My gift is the thing that's going to allow me to eat. It's going to allow me to like. I don't. I wouldn't have known you, Jay, without speaking. We both speak. We both happen to be in Vegas together. Same time. So my gift is allowing me to meet people. My gift is allowing me to feed my family. So I got to make sure, like Brady and, the, and, and Manny, I control this gift, man. Shotgun sometimes. Sometimes I come from. Sometimes I got to run. Sometimes I pass. Sometimes I hand off. I got to manage this thing, man. And, and a lot of us aren't managing our lives. We're just letting it go. We're just letting society run it. And that, that's, not the, that's not the most effective way to do it. No, and, and, you know, I, I love what you talk about, you know, you know you have so much energy in the day. So you're super intentional with your day. Do you use a calendar? Like, do you live and die by your calendar? No calendar. You no? Know, I'm just kind of like, I just go, bro. I, I just go. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I get the most out of the day. I do have an administrative assistant who manages my calendar and tells me where I'm supposed to be. So um, she, she, she owns your calendar. Sierra over there owns your calendar, right? She owns my calendar. I'm, I'm more – and I just got – that kind of recently, but um, I kind of, I'm a field dude, so I feel stuff out. You know, I woke up this morning, hit my boy, like, yo, I'm ready to come to the detention center. I've been on the move a lot, you know, been gone. I'm home. I feel very energetic and energetic. I feel alive. I'm ready to come into this prison, talk to these young people and get these people on another level. So I kind of feel it out and, um, you know, use my day that way. Yeah. Complete pulse on, on, on your surroundings. That's huge, yeah. man. That's and my life owns a part of a large part of the calendar as well. So, yeah. <laughs> and you, know, you mentioned something, man, about um, a six-figure husband, right? Like, I want to become a six-figure husband, six-figure father. What do you do? And I want to bring your mom in too for, for this in a second. But what do you do, like, to to your feeling type of guy? So, are you intentional with being a six-figure husband? Or are you just like, look, I am just present in the moment? You know, I, you know I, I try to wake up every day and kind of sense their needs. You know, I don't know when my wife needs rest. 
I'll know when she wants to go to the mall. It was funny. We were driving to my mom's this morning, which is probably about an hour and 15 minute drive. And in the beginning, like we had worship, you know, we did our little testimonies. And then I could tell at some point it was like, okay, even though she wants to talk, you talking too much. You know what I'm saying? Like I could just sense it. Like she was like, I could tell her response was kind of like, I was like, all right, don't say nothing. So I think for about 30 minutes, I didn't say anything. And then she asked me a question and I answered the question. So just kind of waking up, sensing what do they need? What don't they need? Like my daughter, I could tell it's been about three days. I need to reach out to her. My son, he probably needs me a little bit more. Like we talk pretty much every day. We might miss a day, but I could tell he's like, he called me the other day. was like, dad, you're not talking. So I was like, oh, okay. He wants to talk. So this isn't one of those quick, get on and off. He's like, dad, what you doing? I can tell you occupied. And I was like, oh, no, I'm good, son. And kind of, you know, even though I did want to do something else, I kind of was like, yo, you got an opportunity to talk to your son. He may not be alive tomorrow. You need to take advantage of that. So I have a, you know, generalization of what they need, what they don't need mm. every day. And then that day, I kind of fill it out. So today, you know, I have some stuff to do. And I know my wife didn't want to be on a podcast, didn't want to, you know, do that all night. So she went to the TJ Maxx right up the street, the Marshalls. She's doing her thing. Me and mom going to get it in, you know, and make history together, you know, and, and create some content for the world, you know. So just try to fill it out. But like I said, I do know some things that they like, they want. My wife wants to at least eat once to, uh, a, a day together. My daughter likes to come home for the weekend and spend time, you know. So, yeah, man, it's, a, it's, 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 it's a, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a balance of knowing what they want, every day executing and in the moment of the day knowing what they want and trying to execute and i don't execute all the time but i try to bat you know at least 900 i figure about bat eight nine hundred my wife's not gonna find another batter that's bat 900 so yeah, i should yeah. you know what i'm yeah. saying yeah. Not do this bat 900. no definitely definitely not the thing is though guys we gotta listen to pay attention to yeah. he's just he's intentional with his present moment and keeps a pulse on things because when he grinds, he grinds with his eyes up. He ain't hustling with his eyes down. He's hustling with his eyes up to see the opportunity. Not the opportunity just to make money, the opportunity to help somebody, the opportunity to see when somebody's hurting, somebody needs attention, somebody needs focus. So the biggest thing I want anybody listening and watching this to take away from is when you're grinding, when you're hustling, realize you got to do it with your eyes up because there's, there's things you're going to miss, man. Like if he doesn't do that, he goes five days without talking to his son, like his son could make a bad decision in that time, right? And he's not grinding with his eyes up. So, uh, and, and Jay, and that's spot on because, you know, my son is still, uh, I mean, mad mature in the last year as a professional, you know, uh, as a man. But still, if there's one thing he and I work on together, it is making good decisions because he too feels. And sometimes when you feel, you don't always make you know, logical decision. Whereas my daughter isn't necessarily a filler. So her decision-making, she's the kid that's going to go to school. She's going to do her schoolwork before any party. You know what I'm saying? Like, she just focused, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. So when I talk to him, that is what we're working on, is making sure that if he makes a decision, he's, a, he's phenomenal at whatever he does. But, but he has to make sure that he is locked and loaded on the mind and the logic and not always the heart. So what you said is spot on. And I have to know that. And I have to know how he needs me. And my daughter needs me differently. So I can't give her the same attention and same focus that I give my son. I have to give her what she needs. 
And hers is more, yo, I just need to know that my daddy loves me. I just need that affirmation from my dad. You know what I'm saying? I just need my, that my father has resources. I just need you to connect me to the resources, dad. I'm going to handle my business once I get them. So absolutely paying attention and making your movements based on measurement and not just making your, your, your moves on the moment, if you will. It's like, no, measure it. Know, know what the numbers are saying. Feel the pulse, like you said. Let it feed you the information, and then you make your decisions based on that information that you're getting. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and the old phrase, man, of treat people the way you want to be treated, I'm not a fan yeah. of that, right? Yeah. Because you got to treat people the way they want to be treated. Your Absolutely. son wants to be treated differently. Mom wants to be treated differently. So in order for us to get the best outcome, which is going to benefit them the most, guys, treat yeah. people the way they want to be treated. Absolutely. And now the time, I, I'm super excited because I'm, I'm extremely honored to have this interview with you and Mama T because, you know, I, I know, you know, coming from her side of it, there's a story behind it, right? There's a different side of it. And the reason why I know, let me just be honest and clear. When my mother, my father hear me talk and they talk about the addiction we've been through and we talk about all these things, they're always like, but what about my side, right? What about my side? And, and, and whether their side I think is foggy or not foggy, like, yeah, I get it. Like, then express your side, whoever that is. So for her to open up and be vulnerable um, is extremely, extremely huge. But for me to have the opportunity uh, to have this exclusive interview with you guys, uh, because this book needs to be read by every single person, man. And, and kind of, I want you just to introduce it, bro, because, you know, this is, this is her passion project that's going to lead to so much more. So, you know, the floor is your guys. I mean, for sure, I want to bring her in. And I, I know she's in the house somewhere, but tell them a little bit about the book. In, yeah. Where's she at? Yeah, she's Hi, here. Yeah. I'm Mama, Mama T, right? You want to be called? Yes. Awesome. How are you feeling today? Blessed. Good, good, good. We're excited to have you. Um, you know, this this podcast is, is to help people be better today than they were yesterday, right? And and you come from a different angle, Mama T. You, you, you come from the angle of, you know, E came out and said a bunch of things, and it makes us feel a certain way when we hear sometimes the truth or, or the truth from somebody else's eyes, right? Maybe we didn't think of, man, that's how it affected them. So when we hear it, it hurts. Um, and, and sometimes we could either you know, go ahead and, and recluse ourselves and, and put a shelter and look at that person totally different, or we could sit and think on it, right? We make choices, guys, of either default or choice. So when the circumstance happens, you either look at it as default, which is be angry, give up, be pissed, or by choice of thinking on it, walking it through your head and then making a decision from there. Um, and, and tell everybody, Mama T, about, you know, a little bit about your story and why you decided to write this amazing book after, you know, he wrote his book. Well, I wanted to make people understand there is more than one truth. Mm. It depends on the angle you look at something. If you are the recipient of certain things. And while Eric's story was totally the truth, it was a moment in time. Now, what I wanted to do was share with the reader my own life prior to Eric being born our struggles, and then the struggles we had when he found out the truth about being adopted. But I wanted to share from a, a parent's perspective, number one, but the, the bigger part is that I just wanted to show people that when you can look at your part in what happened or have empathy for the person who's suffering, 
only then are you able to get through your get through. Mm. Had I taken the blame game, and I did for a moment because I thought my intentions were uh, honorable, but then I had to look at it from my son's perspective. So it doesn't change the truth of his book, but it gives a bigger picture of Eric at birth, maybe before he was born, the struggles and how we overcame and what it took for us to get back in a healthy relationship. It, that's, and I just love what you said about perspective, right? You look at it through a different lens and, and it took you a while, but you came back around. I, I, I really want to know when he came to you at, you know, 12 years old and, and basically it said, look, mom, like, tell me the truth. Is this really my father? What, what did you think? Did you want to tell him that like, I, I need to know what was going through your head. If we can kind of go back to that moment, because that's a pivotal point, right? That was a pivotal point in your relationship um, and, and kind of, you know, his next five, 10, 15 years, ultimately it led to what he is and who he is today. Um, so yeah, we want to change anything. Um, but tell me what was going through your head. And, and the reason why I asked this is because I think when it comes out, whether it's, it's a husband, wife, whether it's friends, whether it's um, your mother, father, uh, you know, with the son, with the daughter, when somebody approaches somebody with a lie that has been told for so long, maybe something as big as that, and the person was lying only to help. How was your thought process in that? Because you weren't trying to harm him, but he's 12. How do you tell a kid that? Well, what I realized is that the secret that I had been holding, people were divulging. So I was shocked and disappointed. And because they took the opportunity for me to share. Now, but moreover, he, I was actually at work when he called me. And I knew something was terribly wrong because I could hear it in his voice. And I think I came home. It was one of those things, I got to leave work. I got to go home. And I told the truth. It was, we wouldn't have been able to make up had I lied again. Because I could have fixed it and said, oh, no, they're lying. It's not true. Here's the birth certificate. But it would have damaged me ever having any credibility with Eric again for, for lying on something that big. Yeah. And, okay. And, and that's, that's huge because you came right out and said it, but you had 12 years to say something, right? Like, did, did you think throughout those 12 years, okay, now we should tell him. Now we should tell him. Or, or was it like, hey, we're not going to tell him, and we just lived that, and we never really brought it up? Well, when we moved from Chicago, Eric and I, when I got married, I did kind of look at life. I had a do-over. Uh, so some of the situation that was going on with his biological father uh, wasn't involved, didn't want to be involved. It didn't make sense to me at the time because I couldn't have seen the collateral damage. It just didn't make sense to, to bring it up. Jesse was very adamant about being his father. He adopted him. He carries his name. We're all Thomases. So... As much as I like that scenario, when you ask certain questions that are life-altering, that's not the time to lie again. Yeah. And, and he made the decision in that moment to look at you through a different lens, right? And, and, and that's just the way it was. He looked at you, and we talked about it earlier, of like he did it probably because that's really what he wanted. He wanted to use you as an excuse 
to go and rebel and be crazy. Look, I've been there. I've done it. And many of us do it as adults too, right? Like we try to find reasons to act the way we're acting. It's called reverse spotlighting. So like we want to have, you know, a good reason why we're acting out or why we're doing certain things. So at 12, he did that. And then he started acting out. Did you feel some kind of way? I want to kind of hear what you were thinking, what you were feeling over the next few years as he started rebelling a little bit more, a little bit more. Did you take ownership of it's my fault? Um, or, or like, how did that conversation go in your head and, and what you do? Well, we talked and then at some point I could see that he wasn't uh, coming around to my apology. And we sought uh, counseling. That was mm. one of the first things we did. And then uh, Eric mentioned a little earlier about how the neighborhood was starting to change and the mindset of the kids. So we thought, well, we moved. And we moved to the suburbs. But what we didn't understand, me and my husband at the time, moving wasn't the answer. We, but we just couldn't get to the point of fixing it. So we were desperately trying anything we could in order for to make it right by our son. So so you, you, you try to use all these resources, and I love how you said moving didn't help, right? The phrase of the grass is greener on the other side, the grass is greener where you water it, right? And, and you guys were trying to water it, just, you just couldn't get enough water into that fertilizer for that grass to grow. So now he, he says, you know what? I don't need this. You're not going to punish me. I'm going to go off, and I'm, I'm going to be a man, and I'm going I'm to do my own thing. And what did you think at that moment? Did you think you were failed as a parent? Did you, know, did, did you think, you know what, let him go fail and let him see what the real world's about? Where was your mindset at that point? Because there's moms listening to this right now that they're scared their son is going to leave because of their actions. Um, and, and maybe their son has left or their daughter has left or rebelling. And they're taking this complete ownership and it's suffering. It's making them almost worse than they were before because they're taking so much pain from the way their child is acting. So he ups and leaves and, and what, what are your thoughts at that point, and did you take the ownership? Well, there's two ways to look at that. If, if you've been a good parent and it happens, you have pain because he left at an age that's not normal. Most mm -hmm. kids leave at 18 or 19 going to college or moving out on their own. So there was some angst there, but I think what helped me was – a, I stopped listening to all the negativity from friends who said, you gave him everything, and Jesse was good to him. Uh, I don't blame you for being angry. I couldn't sort through what I was feeling because I was just getting too much feedback, but none of it was what I would call good advice. They were just want to be my partner in crime, if you will, not say hey, it was terrible what you did, you shouldn't have done. So I had to cut the noise in one respect and then look at what we did as parents and what I specifically did by comparison of the way I was raised. Then I, I'm not going to say I was at peace, but I felt that as a parent I had done my job best I could at, the, at this point by trying everything. Mm. So that's going to have a bearing on how you uh, perceive this child even. And if you haven't done a good job, you have to own up to it like I did. Say, okay, I should have told you you were adopted. 
Now, if a parent is saying, I shouldn't have been leaving you home since you were 10, but they got to own up because that's when the dialogue starts, the healthy dialogue. If you're in the wrong, you got to make the person understand you're offering your hand out and where do we go from here? Ownership. You took ownership. I think that's the big thing. Let me ask you this. Do you feel any kind of regret? Like throughout the whole process of not telling him, telling him the way uh, you reacted and acted throughout, the, you know, him growing up. What's, is there anything that you regret a decision that you made? I know everything happens for a reason type of thing, but is there something that you do regret that you wish you didn't do or you did differently? Well, I wish I had been more forthright with my words, but that Eric knew his parental grandparents and relatives. He just simply didn't know his father. I should have been more honest because I was so open with them having full access to Eric that I should have realized they would have said something. So if I have a regret, that's it. Yeah. And, and writing this book, did it bring out a lot of emotions? Was there, were there tears involved? And during the self-reflection, was there ownership that you didn't take ownership in certain things until you started putting pen to paper? Yeah, I think that I was able to look at a lot of things and see the error. I should have done some things differently. But what I saw most of all was how many blessings we have. But when we focus on what's wrong, we can't see them. Mm. All of the things that the angels, I call them, that had came through my life since I got pregnant with my son, it made me remember them and just how fortunate I was to be a 17-year-old mother uh, raising my son alone. I left home at 17 as well, so there's some... <laughs> Similarities there, huh? Yeah, something going on. <laughs> So yeah, the, the egg doesn't or the egg corn doesn't fall far from the tree, right? <laughs> no, I left home pregnant at seventeen, not with the baby, still with him in my belly, mm. trying to figure out what was I gonna do. And this book just shows you there's so many people out there to help you if you are not into this victim mentality. Because if you are, you can't see the help that's right there. That helped me and my son so many ways. Uh, to, to be okay. And so that the writing shows you, even when it's terrible stuff, you fall down, but I got up. That we all fall down. We all fall down, but get up. And then sometimes people have to reflect on what they've been through more than they reflect on what happened. Yeah. Victory on the other side. But it takes vulnerability. And I think people are scared to be vulnerable. So let's speak to that from, from your side of it, uh, Mama T. How did you say, I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to open up the floodgates of all these emotions. You know, I'm going to open up the floodgates to all these things that happened in the past, good, bad, and different. The first step to success, I say, is get comfortable being uncomfortable, right? And, and you've got to have vulnerability within it. So what, what would you tell somebody listening to tell them, look, this is why you need to become vulnerable, or this is how you open up to be more vulnerable so that you could have that growth and, and those goals that you want? For me, it was being one of 14 children. I was number four, and it was just abject poverty. We lived in the city, but we weren't living much better than people that were in rural Mississippi. 
And so what I was able to do at a young age was say, I don't know what I want, but I know what I don't want. So I had to be vulnerable because if I wasn't to take chances, I knew I'd, start, I'd end up on welfare with a bunch of kids in a dead-end relationship. And I had nowhere to go but up. Mm. And I chose to go up. Chances, chances. That that's a, that's that's huge because I think people are scared to take chances. But without them, you you'll never know. And what do you want? What's the one thing you want people to get out of this book? If they could read this whole book from front to back, if there's one main thing, it'll hit everybody differently. We know this, but what's like one main thing that you hope somebody walks away with after reading this vulnerable book about the other side of it? Well, there's two really uh, main things, and that's secrets, that there's a difference between private and personal and secrets. Secrets are terrible and very self-destructive to a point that you can't even imagine the, the fallout. And, and sometimes it's never fixed or never exposed and, and rectified. But number two, I should have gone to college. and I But I had a baby and I couldn't go. And my subtext in my book is the promise delayed, not denied. Because I went back to college at about 39, 40 years old and got a business degree. It's never too late to fix things and live your best life. Yes, never too late. So guys, you guys who are listening to this are like, ah, that limited belief, I'm too old or, or it's too late to fix that relationship or it's too late to own up to things I've done. Like this is a prime example right here. We have two phenomenal people who for many, many years, I mean, had a very shaky, if you know, any relationship, um, but it took ownership from E and Mama T to in her own right. And that's what really brought them together. And I think that that's huge. Now we talked in, in the beginning about in, in the intro saying, there's some things that you thought you knew at all, but you don't. What's one thing that like is in that book that, People don't know about your story that you want to come out and, and tell everybody right now. What's the one big thing that you're thinking of? Well, I'll say for me, I think um, the biggest thing is I didn't know my mom had a life. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't know she had a life. You know, I always thought she was a parent. You know, I always thought she was an adult. You know, I always thought she was, you know, whatever um, superhero figure I had in my head, whatever it was. I didn't know she had a life. You know, and, you know, when you find out somebody has a life, you, you know, like, because for real, you, you think, you you think the only life they have is the life with you. And there's a life that they had before that life. You, you know what I'm saying? And when you realize somebody has a life, it's like, wow, you didn't really know my grandfather until, you know, you were at 10, 11, whatever, 12. That's the same thing that happened to me. And I know how I felt not having my biological father in my life. You know what I'm saying? I was homeless. I, and, and, and again, homelessness is not what you think. Like, I'm not, you know what I'm saying? It's not about being in an abandoned building. As, as much as it's the person that you love the most, you disconnected from that person. For whatever reason, like, y'all ain't tight like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you you disconnected. So people think, oh, he's not a trash, not a trash cancer. That wasn't the hardest part. For me, the hardest part is the person that you're closest to, you're not communicating with them, or they got an attitude with you, you got an attitude with them. Y'all ain't on one accord. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's bigger than anything. Or they disappointed in you, you disappointed in them. You know what I'm saying? That's huge. Thanksgiving coming around, Christmas coming around. Y'all ain't really talking like that. 
You know, so for me, it was like, whoa, you got the life too? So I could see why, you know, because I couldn't see why you would do this to me or you would let this happen to me. But now I realize before it was a me, you got to look out for you. You got to take care of you. So yeah, you didn't have this or you didn't have that. So of course, you, and then you had it worse than me because you had 13 other siblings. You know what I'm saying? And you lived in poverty. I never lived in poverty and had 13, even though I might have, uh, you know, lived in poverty from 16 or whatever. That's different though. It's like, I wouldn't necessarily, that wasn't my experience. That's something that I chose. And so it was on my terms that I wasn't eating like that. You know, I know I could have came back to the crib and ate three times a day if I wanted to. So I think that was the biggest thing for me. It's like, whoa, you had a life? I never knew you had a life. You know what I'm saying? And now that I know you have a life, you can't make my life first. you like, you have a life. And that life impacted why you did what you did. And you did do stuff to survive. Like, you had to survive. So you had to cut him off so that you could move on with your life. And that's the collateral damage. You know what I'm saying? But it is what it is. It's not like it was intentional, deliberate, whatever. So I think that was a big uh, piece for me. And I hope that every young person who's living or adult or teenager that's living is like, yo, you don't live in a vacuum. Your parents are not, you know what I'm saying? They got a past. They've had things that have hurt them or helped them or whatever. So I think that was the biggest aha moment, you know, for me. I never really thought about uh, your life. I was just thinking about my life and how your life impacted my life. Yeah, and that goes back to what you said earlier about, like, looking at others and, and giving them the control, right? I mean, you're looking at her in a different way. And that's crazy. I didn't know that both of you guys didn't really realize who your father was until when I was the same age. You guys left almost the same age. Like, and, and that's pretty remarkable how – um, you know, sometimes we manifest things without realizing it and, and, and whether, you know, it happened um, because we're thinking we don't want it to happen and then it happens um, or, or whatever the case is. But that's that's yeah, I didn't know that. That's insane. That's it's pretty incredible. Um, and, and you know what? Somebody's standing up right now and it's both of you guys saying no longer uh, will our family name be be known as this. We're changing the legacy. Um, and, and, and it only happened because you two came back together and united uh, many years after. And, and so what about you, Mamati? What's, what's one, one thing um, that you, you, that's in this book that maybe people don't know about E or just about the situation? Well, most people assume that uh, Eric's adoptive father was abusive to him because of the intro. But it was a moment of time and they, they, they take more out of it than it is. And, and, and hence thought that I was a weak woman who allowed, because I had found a mate, to be a, a bad father to my son. But what they're going to find out in the book, just what a loving family and how much we did together until this secret unfolded everything. But it was a great life. But nonetheless, the secret kept it from being fulfilled in a way that it could have been had I been honest. Mm. That's huge. Okay, and now I want to ask a question that um, I, I think everybody wants to know. Um, I want to know what is the hardest part about being Eric Thomas, the hip-hop preacher's mom, today? So we talked about the past. We, we, you know, the book's going to come out. It's going to be a bestseller. We're going. I want to tell everybody where they can find it. But what's the, what is the 
hardest part right now, besides it being stubborn and, and you know, we get that whole part of it. <laughs> what's, what's the hardest part of being E.T. the hip hop preacher's mom? Just having the ability to, to be close to him because he is so popular. He's never home. Mm-hmm. And that is probably what I miss the most. And when I work with him, I had to interact with him a lot more because we, you know, we had our weekly meetings and everything. I mean, we're, we're doing so great that I miss that we don't have time to be together. And what's the easiest part? Just being so proud of him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, in the book, it talks about just the being villainized, being a single mom, the curses, and all the people that just think you're nothing. And that some of those people from our distant past are like shocked to see how well he's done and how well I've done because they had counted us out. So, I mean, it's arrogant or prideful, but it, it I'm so happy that he made a liar and that the two of us made a liar on those projections that people had set on us. Yes, proving them wrong, guys, proving them wrong. So how, how would one – um, you know, you're proud of them, but you're also like, dude, give me a call. Right. So, how, and I think a lot of times people, um, are looking at their kids or looking at people they love and they're like, yeah, I'm proud of them, but we don't have that relationship anymore. So they kind of start feeling a little resentment or whatever goes to their mind emotion wise. How do you level that out of, of being proud of them, but not feeling like, you know, resentment or whatever it might be of, uh, you know, annoyed or pissed at them for not calling and not being as engaged as you want him to be. Well, in the beginning, when we travel together, I might be at an event with him on, um, you know, not vacation, but we do vacation together. I would always remove myself from the situation because he's got so many fans and admirers. But then I was talking to him one day. I said, I don't want to bother you because I know you're just assailed on all sides. And he said, Mom, don't do that. If you call me and I cannot talk, I'll tell you, but don't back up thinking that you are worrying me. And it took some effort for me to be proactive to do that because I would be insensitive to him. But then I was sad because I wasn't seeing him in a way that I wanted. So he said, no, I always have time, except when I can't do it right then, but I'll always call you back. And just learning to be open about my feelings helped keep me from saying, I never see him. He never has time. I can make the initiative. I don't always have to wait for him to call. Communication. I think that's what it boils down to. Uh, you know, it's that communication of, of, okay, like no matter what the situation is, if there's communication, we could solve whatever problem we're trying to solve. Before I jump into two last questions, I always end with, is there anything else about the book you want to tell everybody? And also I want to give you the platform to, to tell everybody where they can get it and, and everything. So this is kind of, um, you know, just whatever one last thing you want to tell them about the book uh, that they should be knowing and then where they, where they can go ahead and cop that book. Well, go get it. That's the last thing I want to say. And I'm for real. You know, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a financial dude. You know, I could have made way more money in this industry being one of the top, you know, speakers in the world. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, that's just not my gift. People are my gift and pursuing people is my gift. So I like to believe I am a billionaire when it comes to pouring into people. You know what I'm saying? So I may not necessarily have a billion dollars in the bank, but if you were to look at all the people whose lives I touched, I would be a billionaire, you know? Um, 
but I, but I want people to buy this book, you know, who, who need it. So uh, people whose relationships are broken, you know, and you need to find like, man, we got a past and that past is really hindering their present. You know, like I need some insight on that or people who have not had the greatest start and allow some of the, I don't know what you call it, like hiccups of life maybe um, to derail them you know, from their dreams and goals. I want to tell them they need to get it. And then after you get it, if you haven't read, you see at the bottom of my book, um, The Secret to Success, if you haven't read that, you know, after you read this, get that um, so that you can put the pieces together. Um, and then just, I think, to, for lastly, for those who need to be inspired for legacy, you know, I wrote a book. It is not often that, you know, a person writes a book and then the person in the previous you know, uh, history writes the book, you know, so my mom and her lady wrote the book, I wrote the book, and I'm hoping that uh, my daughter, you know, will write a book, you know what I'm saying, and you'll have, you know, my son, myself, my daughter, my mom, you know, uh, who are penning this, so that generations to come, one, we will continue to write about our legacy, and then uh, two, other families will see that they have a legacy, and they need to be about that legacy. I think a lot of people don't realize when they give up, they killed the legacy and the legacy is bigger than you and I. And so um, our grandkids, 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 if they don't know anything else about their family, they'll be able to pick up these two books. And while they're just glimpse of our life, um, they will at least, you know, have some glimpse of what their family was like. You know, they won't have to just ask a bunch of people. They'll be able to pick up the text, watch this video. You, know, you can think about it, bro. Two, three generations from now, they'll be able to go to this podcast and watch this podcast and they may not know who their great, great, great grandparents are, but they'll be able to look at this and know who they are and see their face and their grandparents, hear their voice, know their story, and they'll be able to connect with their, um, you know, with their family through um, this podcast and through the book. So yeah, get it. If, if you meet that qualification, then it's a must read. Yeah. And, and where, where can I get it? Amazon, any other places? Right now, they, our, our website, Okay. Um, Et's uh, mom, or it, no? What is it? No, it's e, um, mama, mama. Yeah. Mama V Thomas. Yeah, Mama V Thomas. Dot com. Yeah, dot com is where they can go. Okay. Uh, yep. And then of course you can always go to etinspires.com. We have a link um, on my main page, etinspires.com. But yeah, Et's mom is how you follow her on Instagram, and um, like I said. Uh, mamathomas.com uh, is where you can go uh, for the book. Make sure you stop by. You're like, yeah, I didn't find it. etinspires.com. And of course, we'll send you the link so you yeah. can put the link up as well. Yeah, absolutely. What I love about this book, guys, the whole concept of it, like it's, I don't think it's ever been done. Like, I love movies, and the most popular movies are like when you have the same scene going on, but you're seeing it through different characters' eyes, right? Crash, I think, was another one that was really big where it's like this one movie about this one scene, but it's all these different characters you see through their eyes. Um, and I just think it's remarkable that you guys are putting this out there um, and, and the story between it. So I, I appreciate you guys so much for writing the book. Um, and, and, you know, we're not human beings, we're human becomings. And by you guys writing this book, um, you guys are becoming the ultimate version of yourself. You're revealing a new version of you just by ownership through words. Um, it, 
what I want to do is do a little bit of wordplay right now. So, Mama T and E.T., we're going to do something. I'm going to say one word, and I want you to tell me first thing that comes to your mind. It could be an object. It could be a sentence, a word. So, I'm going to give you guys five words, and I want you. We'll go with Mama first, and we'll go E, you're, you're next, all right? So, the first word, whatever comes to your mind, all right? Is the first word for both of us, or are you going to give me a different word? I, I, I want to see how you both react to it. So whatever comes to your mind, keep it. Don't change it. Keep it, all right? <laughs> all right, you ready, Mama T? Vulnerability. Weak. What was that? Weak. Weak. Vulnerability. My story, my style. Yeah. Yes. Success. Happy family. Yeah. Success. Like, like, like happy family, but it continues from... Generation to generation, legacy. Generational. Uh, Failure. Not possible. Failure. Success. <laughs> this this one's interesting. So this one's interesting. Let's see how you guys react to this one. Hustle. Grind. Grind. Hustle. E.T. The definition <laughs> of E.T. <laughs> All right. Last but not least, progress. Continuous improvement. Continuous daily. improvement. Daily. 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 Yes. And, and, and I love those questions, guys, or those words, because it gets me to go a little bit peek behind the scenes of where you guys are thinking um, and, and kind of what you associate with words. So thank you for, for doing that. Uh, the last part of this show, it's, you know, this whole show is based off of the help people be better today than they were yesterday, right? It, it's a power progression, like you said, daily. But there's a lot of information that we've been giving out on this show and, and people get all the time. So what I need is I need three things that people could take action on and implement immediately to go ahead and be better today than they were yesterday. So it could be any realm, right? So three things that as soon as they're done with this podcast, they could implement, whether it's daily, one time, they could be better today than they were yesterday. Mama T, I'm going to let you go first. If you could uh, go ahead and tell me three things. And guys, if you haven't already been writing down notes, if you have flipped a page, because we're about to have another page full of notes, three things that people could take action on to be better today than they were yesterday in any equity of life. Open-minded, develop habits, daily habits. Open-minded, growth habits. Have a loving spirit. What's the last one? Loving spirit. A loving spirit. Yes. Loving spirit is, is something I think people miss out on. And it goes back to that, that judging people, right? And, and I think we judge other people and we judge ourselves way too much. So I appreciate that, especially the last one. Um, it, you know, we have to release judgment completely. Um, and, and E, I think you did a video once about, you know, write the contract to yourself, right? Like write that contract to yourself that, you know, you're going to go ahead and do what you say you're going to do. And that goes back to not judging you for the small mistakes you make. Um, I love it. Okay, perfect. E, give me three things that people could implement, implement immediately to be better today than they were yesterday. So the first thing you can do is actually use the content that you believe is important. So whatever you think is important, actually use that. So um, number two is sift through all the stuff. So like you listen to this podcast today, you're not going to be able to take everything we've said and utilize it. So, so one, decide what needs to be utilized. Number two, utilize it. Then I think number three uh, is give it to somebody 
that can hold you accountable because we're human and we don't always do what we said we were going to do. So give it to somebody that can hold you first, that can, that they, they can hold you responsible to what you say you're going to do. And then hold you accountable, meaning that if you don't do it, there's some consequences to it because we generally don't, we generally don't do a thing because there's no consequences attached to it. Mm. So for instance, I hate wearing my seatbelt, but after $220 tickets and my insurance going up, I started wearing my seatbelt, you know, cause it was just, it's cheaper just to wear it than it is not to wear it. So those would be the three things that I suggest. Yeah, accountability. And, and when you get accountability, do you want someone that can tell you what you want to hear or do you want somebody to tell you what you need to hear? Yeah, well, that's not accountability. That's babysitting. Yeah. Yep. And we, we don't want babysitters. That's expensive. Um, and I don't know that it changes anything. But, yeah, we want, a, we want a, a bona fide coach. And some accountability partners need to be free of charge, but then you need to get something that you pay for. Yes. So, so that it has meaning. Some coaches, you need to pay for that. Yeah, I man, thank you guys so much. These three thank things, you, guys. It, it, look, look, you guys have dropped tons of value from both sides of, uh, of the spectrum. I, I tell everybody, we tell them where they can get the book. Tell and we talk about ET Inspires, but where else can they find you? And what do you guys have coming up um, so that you can let them know? Um, so December third, ignite the dream. Myself and Inky, but Mom will be in New York selling the book. All right, so she's gonna be. Um, signing autographs you know um she likes to uh it's in the family to talk so not only will she be signing a book but if you want to talk for 15 20 minutes i'm like yo ma you're not gonna sell no books you got just one person sitting there for 15 minutes you got a line you know what i'm saying so just get that book and move on i'm actually uh yep I, i'm looking at this here and i'm gonna send it to you but it's uh mamathomas.com is where you can get the book Okay, yeah, mamathomas.com. So just M-A-M-A-T-H-O-M-A-S.com. I'll send it to you. Uh, she got a smooth look, uh, um, what do they call this, banner. It's a nice looking banner here. I'll get it sent over to you. But again, mamathomas.com. Uh, but we'll both be there and then look out for the new year. I'm going to have her do some coaching. She's mm. already got two um, speaking opportunities. Uh, and then we're going to try to add her into our parent curriculum with our school days, sitting down talking to parents and getting parents involved uh, in their kids' academic, you know, careers. So that's what's coming up. And um, thank you so much, man. This has been phenomenal. Like I said, this is our first day ever doing a podcast. So we, this, this is a new day. You know, this day will never happen again. Thank you for your energy. Thank you for your questions, the way you set this whole thing up. And like I said, our, our fans, when you send it to us, We'll put it up on our platform. My mom will put it on her platform, and we'll share this forever, man. I, I am in, in absolute gratitude for you guys as, as once again, as human beings, um, as, as businessmen and women, um, and, and really as add, you know, value-adding people. So, guys, go follow them. Go get the book. Go get E.T.'s book. Go get Mama T's book. Look out for all the things they have coming up in 2019. Make sure you go follow me, at Real John Marone, and – Look, three things I need you to do. Number one is I need you to subscribe to this podcast. <laughs> Number two, write a review. Like if, if Mama T said something that, that touched you or E said something that touched you, write a review about it. And then I want you to message them and tell them what it was that helped you, that aha. And then last but not least, don't be selfish. Share, share this thing out. Like share it out to somebody that could use this podcast to be better today than they were yesterday. 
E, I got one last thing for you, man. Like, what is one thing that you want to leave them? One last little, you know, bomb of value that you want to leave the audience with? Man, you owe you, man. Don't ever, don't ever hold somebody more responsible for your training, your life, than you hold yourself responsible. You know, don't, 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 don't put it on your boss. That's your financial goal. Don't put that on your spouse. Don't put that on your kids. Don't send your kids to college and then to the pros so they can pay your bills. Like, yo, that's your dream. That's your goal. Don't, don't make it somebody else's responsibility. You owe it to yourself. You owe you to make your dreams and goals become a, uh, become a reality. That's not anybody else's responsibility. Yes, you owe you. And once again, thank you so much. Guys, this was the first interview with these two phenomenal human becomings, and I am so excited and, and grateful to have the opportunity. Um, like I said, go follow them. Guys, thank you. Thank you so much um, and, and for everything you guys do. But until next time, guys, make sure you guys keep creating the ultimate version of you.